0: Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. And today, uh, we get to welcome Matt Mask to the program. Matt is an oil field specialist and one of my favorite professional arm wrestlers. Uh, most notably, you can see him through Wall, the World Arm Wrestling League. And uh, Matt, it's great to have you on here.
1: Thanks for having me on, buddy.
0: <laughs> uh, and it's one of those things too. I remember kind of growing up. When I, my parents would go to bed, I'd sit downstairs and watch television. Usually late night ESPN2, there's three athletes that I would always watch. And it was Pete Weber in, uh, pool, uh, in bowling, and then it was Rob Bath and John Brzezinski in arm wrestling. And as I got older, I kind of just I never really appreciate, I guess, those type of athletes because it was, it was, it was outside the made four sports in the world. I kind of just like whatever. Um, but it wasn't honestly until the first couple of months of the pandemic and I came across Wall and I started seeing videos of yourself, Devin Lariat, uh, Michael Todd, and then you also see the Rods, the Johns jump back in here. And for me, it was so refreshing to see people like yourself or Devin or some of these younger guys really carry the torch into the future. And for you to be part of that movement, like how exciting is that for you?
1: Uh I- Hey, I'm just happy to be able to bang with them guys, right? So <laughs> just just the fact that I can go up there and I know they're amped up or they feel like they got to bring their A game when they go to have a match against me is just a blessing in disguise. Because like yourself, when I was growing up, first got into the sport, and I was watching arm wrestling on Arm TV, YouTube, anything like that, that I could find anywhere. Uh, it was John Inc., Ron Bath. Marcio Barbosa, Devin was starting to get in there, right? So it was those were the guys I was watching when when I was first starting to get into the sport. Right? So.
0: The movie, and I don't want to assume, but the movie Over the Top, I assume, has a big influence on your life. And for me, I love the sheer spectacle of everyone from Smasher to John Grizzly to Bo Hurley, and then obviously people like John Brzezinski who were part of that movie. And what I loved about that is each wrestler had an interesting backstory. I mean, I don't think any of you guys are drinking motor oil or eating cigars that are lit. Uh, But what I love about that movie is it kind of built like this crazy, like, man, these are larger-than-life here, like people. And again, for you, when you watched that movie the first time, are you kind of like, man, maybe I could do this?
1: Uh, Well, it was actually one of the inspirations for me. To, to actually just fall into the love of or something, right? So it was one of my favorite movies growing up when I was a kid. It actually plays on repeat in my basement right now, consistently. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, I don't know what it was, something about the movie. It kind of, you get that little rumble in your belly, right? And you get them knots and the hair in the back of your neck stands up. The movie did that for so when I was growing up, and I found out that there was actually competitions and everything else going on, it was, Oh my God, I got to be part of this.
0: Now was this, was arm wrestling kind of, for me, it was like you'd be at lunch, right? Growing up in middle school or high school in the in USA for me. And people would be like, Oh, arm wrestle for longer time or recess. Or it was almost like a very kind of like, who's the strongest person here. Right. And so, I, I had younger sisters and I had some cousins and sometimes we just do like stupid arm wrestling type stuff. But for you, were you an athlete or is this something that kind of – like were you doing sports? Like how did you kind of transition into the actual idea of arm wrestling?
1: Uh, when I was a kid, I was, I was naturally gifted as an athlete, uh, like had natural fastball, everything like that. But like some kids, I enjoyed – hooting with the owls at night, as opposed to flying with the eagles during the day, right? So, (laughs) but I always always had an urge of wanting to accomplish something in a sport. Like I played football a little bit when I was in high school. Like they never had any, like when I was growing up as a kid in any of the schools I was in. So I moved away my last year of high school to go play football, just because I wanted to be physical, aggressive in something, right? wasn't sure right. exactly what it was but played that for a bit and that was actually what opened the door into there was a world of professional arm wrestling out there I was always good at it when I was a kid there was local tournament they did when I was uh, 16 and it was uh, nothing nothing sanctioned or anything like that it was just uh, held at a local bar that did it every winter carnival I showed up out of the blue I ended up beating everybody when I was 16 snuck in the back door of the bar kind of just because I wanted to be part of the tournament, right? Then uh, when I was playing men's league football, there was a Dave Janikowski, we were living together. He was an older fellow playing the lineman and I was playing for the sub team after I'd played the high school team. During the summer, I was playing for the sub team and uh, and uh, we were all playing around one day after a game and, well, oh, that's all our wrestling. I just played with the whole team and he's like, man, you got a God-given gift. I'm going to look into this for you. And, Looked on the internet and ended up finding out that there was a tournament down south in Ontario and they do regular tournaments and brought me down to my first tournament. Ended up placing fourth, lost to Mike Gould twice in that tournament. Devin Lorette was there. That was actually the first time he had gotten a win on Mike Gould and was in that tournament. And uh, went to Provincials after that. I met Devin. We pulled a little bit, then I kind of ventured off from Ontario into Alberta because needed to work needed to make some money didn't want to carry on through school so I was going to take a year off get some schooling done go back and kind of find something to do a career in and came out in Alberta found the oil field and everything else just kind of fell into place ended up uh, going to a tournament my wife found out that there was a tournament in Red Deer going on so she tried to sign me up said no he had to be here so I ended up jumping into the tournament uh did fairly well, won the amateurs, ended up uh placing, I think it was fourth or third or something in the pro division. And it was a man called Aaron Lagell kind of took me underneath his wing and hey, you know, you got some talent. He's like, uh, you know, maybe we should train together or see if I can progress you. And he kind of introduced me into arm wrestling, explained about John, Ronda. Ron Bath, John Brzezink, Alan Fisher, all the different moves taught me the whole center of the hand. And then uh, from there, six months later, I competed in my first provincials in Alberta, ended up winning that, and the rest just kind of took off from there. So,
0: In terms of your job, how difficult is it to not only micromanage your career in the oil industry, but you have a wife and kids at home, and you also have the arm wrestling. Is it difficult for you to kind of, Put everything together and make it work
1: um originally it wasn't because it was just kind of a hobby for me right and competing at the level i'm competing at now yeah it's it's a challenge it's huge because sometimes when i'm working i'm gone for two three days at a time and i could be up for 30 hours straight taking care of whatever we need to do on the rig uh, a little physical you get back you're you know down and weight and try to compete with the big boys. So for me to gain weight, I need to be eating on a regular basis and you're out working, your head gets into the job and you just get complacent. Right. So six hours later, it's like, Oh, I'm a little hungry. And Holy fuck it's eight hours since I've eaten. Right. So, (laughs) so it's, yeah. So it's, it's a struggle there. And then obviously to find the right time, like kids have their activities, everything else going on. So to, to kind of base, when I host my practices around their schedule, around my work schedule, and then find time in between to work out and everything else I need to continue to build, it's uh, yeah, it's a struggle. <laughs> Obviously, I wish it paid more. I wish a guy'd be able to do it full time. Maybe I'd bail to see what my full potential could be, but it's uh, it is what it is, right?
0: It's so- so, uh, it leads into like the follow up question in terms of sponsorships and. Hopefully, wall and other programs and tournaments and stuff get more and more mainstream. are you able to kind of like are, are there sponsor avail- like availability in this sport like is there uh whether it's nutrients or bands or tables and stuff like that like how do you what can be what can be done more for your sport where it gets more mainstream and more people start putting money into something that a lot of people actually enjoy watching well like that
1: that'd be a huge. Thing. If everybody was able to get, or the top guys were able to get more sponsorship, I think there's there's quite a few guys out there that are able to pull it off. Um, but I don't know for myself, it's it takes a lot of it's a lot of dedication to ask people for sponsors and then also commit the time that you need to belt to get the sponsors' name out where they feel like they've made at least a little bit of something off of you and some return right where they want to continue to sponsor you it's it takes takes a lot of time a lot of dedication and i just i don't know i've always been the type of person where if i want something either it's someone approaches me or i go out and i take it or i take care of it myself so i've i've never been one to ask for sponsors right like i don't like asking for handouts,
0: right? So, right. One of the interesting things about you, if anyone that actually has watched some of your highlights, which I highly suggest, or basically anyone on wall, because the YouTube channel, there's all this content out there, but you, you almost elevate yourself to like this out of body character where it's like, you are so, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but you're very psychotic. And it looks (laughs) like when you, something bad goes wrong, you get, animated but when you win or you do whatever you get even more animated it's just really cool how long does it take you to get into that version of Matt Mask because I, I assume you can't bring that character to the oil rig or to home right like how are you able to kind of get to that level before every match
1: it it's a process it's <laughs> it's like it literally it's a month process leading up to a match so it's just like visualizing them doing bad things to my wife my kids my dog uh just picture visualize all the work effort and everything that I have put in for how many years like this person is coming to take everything from me in that five minutes right? right so it's just putting them in a very bad place in my mind and just things like being a man you're Constantly, you have things that affect you, but you can't express it. Right? You kind of just take it, put it down, bottle it up. Uh, I try to let everything out in that moment, right? And it just—I don't know. It's—it's it's hard to explain. Like you said, yeah, it's almost like an old body experience. The sight, uh, the oxygen rush I get, everything, adrenaline. As soon as the hair starts standing up on the back of my neck, and it's almost like a little bit of a tunnel vision, right? So. Usually a couple days prior to a match, I'll, I'll talk to my opponent. I'll just be, just let you know, I'm, I'm apologizing now for whatever I do because I got no control. Right? <laughs> it's just it's, letting it all loose. Right. There's some
0: so, amazing trash talk. I mean, there's the, the battles between you and Dev it has awesome stuff. Your stuff with it. Barbosa, barboza it's just it's so cool to see it because it's two people the, your opponents doing the same type of thing wherever he needs to get ready and when you guys meet at the table for that first hit it just it's like so enthralling and it's and i love the the yelling the screaming the cursing and i love the crowd it's 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 so when after you compete whether win or loss is this what's the process to you, you kind of recover Is there a kind of a couple of hours or days where you have to just like regress back from that state?
1: No, it's usually over pretty quick. Right. So once you, once you hit that peak, like, uh, they call them almost like a sports orgasm, right. When you you feel everything, you feel that accomplishment or that defeat, whatever it is, it's kind of just, it's all out. Right. So it's, it's no longer bottled up you're no longer holding it in. Because you're not releasing it consistently, you're just holding on to it, and then you let it all out. Then, so usually, as soon as it's over, it's it's usually over, right?
0: <laughs> One of the a lot of the highlights, the crowds have always been very rowdy, and I love that fact. And obviously, a crowd like that would have an impact on your performance, right? Whether they're booing you or cheering you, like that's got to add something to the day, right?
1: Uh, honestly, I. Don't even really wow. Not even like it's all kind of just a blur, right? <laughs> like I'm walking out, and it's almost just a tunnel vision. I know in the back of my mind there could be you know tens of thousands of people watching, but it doesn't really, you know. I just just kind of tunnel vision and just let her loose, right? So,
0: how who was the first person to give you the wild horse nickname?
1: Um it's kind of a comical comical story because uh initially if you've watched some of the older videos uh of me with uh Neil Pickup doing armors, he came out with this whole Halloween mask thing right and he's like, it's horrible because Neil Pickup he's come up with some good names Monster Michael Todd you know Devin No Limits Lorette right but the thing is is uh For him, he has three boys, so Halloween has always been about goblins and gruels and a scary place. Like Halloween, not scary. For me, I got three girls, so Halloween has always been about princesses and fairies. So when he's like, "Oh, Halloween," I was like, "No, man, that's not that's not cool, right?" But it is what it is. You don't make up your own nickname; it kind of it's given to you, and you accept it. Uh, So we're moving forward. WAL had started to get going. I ended up, uh, one of my buddies, actually, general manager uh, of Wild Horse Enterprise is what it was at the time. They used to do sand traps and stuff like that for flow back lines in the production. And uh, his boss wanted to sponsor us for this WL event and said, you can get my name on ESPN and I'm going to pay for your guys' trips. So we said, absolutely, we can figure it out. So we knew there was no logos or anything able to be put on or no shirts with other names on it during the event because it was strictly sponsors that were getting names in, which was understandable because they were trying to build up that platform. So how could other people get it in for free? And uh, so we ended up getting temporary tattoos made that said Wild Horse. And then we had them stripped down our arms and ended (laughs) up making it onto ESPN and went in the next day and I was wearing my Wild Horse hoodie and they're like, oh, Wild Horse, oh, we got to cover up that. And they go to grab duct tape and put it over. And they're like, oh, wait a sec, Wild Horse, that's you. Come on in. So they just assumed that was my name and WL's, a bunch of the commentators and everything else that were involved at the time, they hadn't realized who I was before. And Wild Horse kind of came in and it, it kind of more stuck with how I was and how I reacted at the table. So it's just, it's just kind of been a new thing ever since. So the company the company now has gone under it's no longer a thing but at least we can say the name will live on forever right so. yeah of
0: course <laughs> after you after a competition do you obviously do you take mental notes more so or do you actually take like start writing down notes about different movements or different actions or reactions people have like especially if you're going and trading into a into a, a match with somebody you've already, Arm wrestle with before? Like, how do you prepare for a person versus what you haven't met or what you have met before?
1: Uh, everybody's different. <clears throat> Everybody has their style, where their pressures are, their hand size. Um, you can only get so much information from watching somebody else compete against somebody else until you actually feel them. So, leading up to a match, if I'm going against somebody that I haven't pulled before, like Tim Bresnan, I kind of watch where he sets up, where his elbow is, where his pressure is applied, where position he usually gets into when he's pulling somebody. And I try to remember back on somebody else that I've competed against. I don't usually write anything down. It's all mental files, right? So I'll go back and I'll pull out. Well, that was kind of similar to this person. This really seemed to work well for them or mobilize them to get into the position they needed to get into. And I'll watch the movement that they do. And it's usually I'll, I'll come up with a game plan in my mind, what I think might work, but until I get up to the table and actually grab onto their hand and that first match says go, sometimes I get lucky and Hey, that worked out perfect. And other times it's I'm completely off and I'm completely wrong. So it's pretty much you got two minutes. You got to change everything up, and it's just just a matter of dissecting it at that point, right? Well, that didn't feel right. It felt this here, so maybe I'll try this, or I'll adjust my hand into here because he's mobilizing me from getting to this position. So then it's then it's just a matter of you're just pretty much grasping, but from doing it for so many years makes it a lot easier to try to figure out what angle you need to work on, right?
0: Obviously there is a physical aspect to working out, eating the right way, gaining weight, all the stuff. But what I love about yeah. you specifically is you see the physicalness of it, but the mental game as well, you, you bring to the table, it's like the little things you do or the stuff, the way you look, the way you react. How do you train yourself mentally for that as opposed to is it tougher or easier than say lifting or bulking for a match? Uh, so whatever happens between
1: after go, when I do my position to when the match ends, um, I play it in my mind, like over and over and over again. Uh, like, like I said, a month leading up to the event, I'll get up to my table. I'll visualize the referee. I'll visualize the crowd, try to visualize the crowd, In the background I visualize my opponent to visualize the setup and I just go through my motions nice and easy and I literally picture close my eyes I do everything as if I'm actually there in that moment and I just repeat it over and over and over and over again and I'll do it sometimes 100 sometimes 300 times in a day and I'll just consistently go through it and then after that it's just as soon as it's done and I go through my motion, I just feel that surge, but I don't let it out. I just kind of hold it in because I'm, I'm pumped up, right? I'm thinking about the match. I'm thinking about if it goes my way. So it's, it's always that little surge is in there, but I just don't do anything with it. I hold it in and I set up when I go through my position again. So when the match comes, I don't really need to think about what I'm doing. It just kind of happens. Like, it's just an automatic, uh, uh, there's no process involved. It's all muscle. So it's just going to happen. And then when the match is over and that surge that I have, I just let it out. I don't, okay, let it back in. Okay, let's regroup, do this again. I just let it out. And that's why whatever happens after the match is... is, (laughs) whatever happens, right? (laughs) It just all comes naturally at that point, right? And not trying to think about what I have to do ahead unless it's between a match and it didn't go the way I want. Then I'm trying to dissect and I'm going back and regrouping. Okay, visualize he did this. Now, what are we going to do in this position? And I'll go through that a couple of times in my head. And then I go back up to the table and then I just let it out. Let whatever the hell is going to happen naturally happen, right? So...
0: I love the fact that it's a brotherhood. There are women down in this league, too, that so, like the sisterhood of this whole thing where, yes, you can be enemies f- for the actual match or whatever, but you, it seems like everyone respects the craft, they respect the sport, they respect each other's hard work that led to that match with that person. But I, I'm always curious with certain uh, opponents – uh, do you carry grudges or if they do if you if you think they do something that maybe but it wasn't noticed by the referee or are there actual enemies you have in this sport?
1: Uh, not really. I don't think so. Like I like every lot of people think me and Devin hate each other. Oh. <laughs> and just from how our matches have gone. But if anybody follows any of our personal YouTube channels, you know that's not the case, right? But it's we've got nothing but ample amount of respect for the person because we know what it takes to get to this level not only not only just the amount of dedication plus you're trying to juggle your own personal life and work life and everything else involved but the amount of pain and suffering you go through to get to this level eventually it's it's a long road. Like nobody just comes in and they're automatically the best. You don't come into this and be at a competitive level without sitting there rubbing your arms for three months when you first start get going or you first start training again after a little bit of time off going, why the fuck am I doing this? Why am I even thinking about this? Like, I'm an idiot. I'm never doing this again. And the next time there's a practice, you show up again, right? So I, I think that, we all have a bit of respect for everybody when it comes to the competitive side, obviously, you know, you're going to find people. Of course. You see that. Yeah. You just, you don't feel, you don't clash with, you don't, you know, like there's no, they're just who they are as a person. If you were to meet them without the sport, you just wouldn't like them. Right. So right. you have them people, but usually those people I just avoid. I just don't, spend as much time with them and why the fuck is it going to bother me what he does why does it affect me on a personal level right so i i worry about myself the people i do enjoy and that i have grown fond of in the sport i tend to spend more time with the people that kind of bother me and hit me on that personal note i just avoid and whatever they do
0: go ahead and do whatever you do but right we're just you, know. you you mentioned like a month out you'll start visualizing stuff in terms of the physical trade that leads to a particular match do you have to taper what you're doing as you lead up to the thing like how do you kind of preserve yourself yet maintain what you're trying to do
1: yeah it all depends on how like how early i started preparing for the match how I'm feeling physical, everything else leading up to it. If I'm beat right the fuck down, I'm going to have a longer taper. If I'm feeling good, I'm going to make my taper a little shorter. So it all depends on where I am leading up to a match. I, I tend to always listen to my body. So like, I don't have books. I don't keep track of how much I'm lifting, what I'm doing, how many reps I'm doing It's just, my body will tell me, if I should go heavier or if I should go lighter, if I pick something up and it just get that bone pain where it's like a toothache pain in your arm, I'll put it down and I'll grab something lighter and I'll just do more reps with it. Right. And sometimes leading up to matches, I'll I'll feel like that for two months leading up to a match. So I'm going to have a longer taper down, right? If I'm feeling strong or I'm able to constantly grab heavier stuff, I'll have a little bit of a shorter taper down because I don't have that damage on my tendons or my muscles or whatever leading up to it, right? So
0: it, it, what's crazy here is that for people that, again, don't understand, if you're a professional football or basketball player, that's what you do, right? The fact you have to maintain this all while being safe at your other job, your real job, which is the oil, in the oil field, a very dangerous job. It, it's just, it's kind of crazy how you're able to, again, to maintain both sides of the house right there. It's very fascinating.
1: I just try to keep myself more so it's like, I can do my job if I'm at 50% physically, just because I've been doing it for a long enough time and I'm strong enough to handle to do what I need to do. So I try to, it's more trying to keep myself at about a 70% level, right? Right. So I'm always trying to keep myself physical at about 70% strength. So it's, if I feel like I'm around 80, I And I'm feeling good. I'll grab heavier weight. I'll lift them. I'll do them. So that 70. So when I do have my taper down, it's usually about a solid week of the last week prior to where there's no heavy, heavy, heavy weights. It's all very, very light. Just a little bit of blood movement, stuff like that, but a lot of resting. I find when I have that actual rest, that 70, when I hit that 100, you get that massive fucking spike, right? Right. So...
0: In terms of like the rules and regulations, the, like who is the governing body? Say for wall, like if enough of the wrestler arm wrestlers get together and say, "Hey, can we change this?" Like, what's the protocol? And the reason I why I ask is, I think a year ago I started seeing videos of people bitching about the king's move. Where if you don't follow arm wrestling, the the person on the defense, I think, well, you can describe it better, but they look like they're sitting down under the table, um, and when people were Specifically, fans of the sport and newer people and older wrestlers are kind of saying this is this should be changed, stuff like that. So when stuff like that happens, of course, it's currently legal in that uh, in that league. But like, who who can make these changes if people want to make it for the better and stuff like that?
1: Well, it's the people that obviously have an issue with it, right? So (laughs) more the more people that are complaining about or try to address it. And then there's obviously committees involved with them that will alter it. And like, they, they used to have cup pads before, and then it was a few people came forward saying, well, you can't have the cup because you got that little rim around the edge. People are resting their arm on it and it's preventing them from getting the pin because they're using the cup to their advantage. So then they went to the square pads where you had a little bit of lip, then it came down to the edge of the table. So you can physically tell if somebody's elbow's coming off and they don't have a lip or a ledge, to use an advantage to help with the prime, right? So it's just just trial and error. And people obviously don't like a certain thing, you're gonna you're gonna have people complain about it, right? And yeah. whether or not they're justified, then it is what it is. Me, I don't really care. I don't. I just uh, what are the rules? Okay, this is what I gotta buy. by. Kate, I'll make sure I'm there. Like I don't care like it, I I prefer the no holds barred rules myself like how WL used to have yes. where you're fighting not as soon as they say go but there's a fight from the setup there is there's everything going on in there it's it's a lot more of a challenge as opposed to I feel anyways than the the finicky and so precise like every little millimeter is called on everything so yeah right so it's yeah whatever whatever they want to pull out it's i don't really have any complaints about it so
0: it's yeah there's been times where i've seen clips where the ref will do something where the commentators will make note of it or the rest of the arm wrestlers at the time will be like well you didn't do the right thing or you didn't tighten it the right way, the strap and stuff. It's just – the whole sport, it's so – there's so many nuances and stuff. Like it's – besides the point of two alpha male or female going at it at the time, there's so many nuances and little things happening that it's so fascinating. Like sometimes I have to go back and watch and be like, not only is the physical aspect of these two people doing this, but they have to remember certain rules and stuff and elbows coming off the pad. and stuff. It's just very fascinating.
1: Yeah. And and you'll have like a lot of competitors that will, in the setup, they're trying to manipulate the setup in every way they can. They're applying pressures in different angles before the goes, trying to throw you off your game, trying to get a little more advantage in a way to get a little more height or something like that. So it's, you're still trying to stay within the boundaries. You can always say, oh, he's doing this and he's doing this, but then you're just going to look like you're the one doing majority of the shit because you're complaining. So you got to right. try to compensate what he's doing, plus you're trying to keep everything square and straight for the referee. So it's you know, and the refs have a fuck, brutal fucking brutal job because they have to go off intuition who they think is doing this or doing that, because you have a lot of guys where they're not doing anything, and the other guy is complaining the whole time about everything. So it's who who do you believe? Right. So yeah. That's that's why I personally like the no holds barred rules myself because there's a little bit of a yeah. fight into the setup where the referees just there to make sure of the basics and then the rest is up to you guys, right?
0: How like in terms of injuries, what's the worst injury you've seen or been a part of? Uh I've never
1: really like had anybody else cross table for me get any? Well, I guess they have. Because um,
0: like, the reason why, why I asked this people, is you but, had that one video where you dislocated your, dislocated your finger. Um, I can't think who was it, Devin or whoever it was. And you snapped, oh, it was Rob Bath. And you snapped your finger back in. It was like, oh, I just dislocated it. And I'm watching it. I'm going, most people that would hurt. Now, obviously, you work with your hands and everything. So I yeah. get that. But it, I was kind of blown away by it.
1: it, it well, like, that's the thing. I've had like two different occasions. I've dislocated two different fingers. I've torn a peck. I've dislocated my elbow. I've torn my quad against Devin. How you tear your quad arm wrestling? I don't know. But it's so like it's like, what's the worst one? Like I would say, I would say the worst one I took a lot to get through was probably when I pulled Nick Zena and I had dislocated my index finger. And he ended up tearing something in the shoulder at the same time. So it's every time we'd close our hands, my finger would just go sideways the other way. I'd, they'd say, go, I jump for the position that I needed. And he's trying to hang on. He ended up tearing his shoulder the one. And I'm hoping, okay, well. Hopefully he's fucking too sore and he wants to quit. How you feeling over there, buddy? Are you good? He's like, yeah, I'm good.
0: I'm like, fuck, okay, yeah,
1: let's keep going that, right? <laughs> so, but every time, yeah, every time we close our hands, just if you've ever dislocated a finger or anything before, you know that as soon as you go to bend that joint, it just dislocates again until you immobilize it and our cartilage and everything right. else is to build up around it again. It's just going to keep popping up. So every time I want to close my hand, it would pop out of place again, right? So...
0: If there's a guy or girl out there that will be listening to this that wants to get into art wrestling, like what is what is the proper procedure? Like how do they go about because a lot of stuff you posted your your Instagram page, uh which I think everyone should follow, uh she's very community-based, whether you're training together, you always you, know, you guys are eating pancakes together, you guys are always having a good time, learning the sport and just watching videos and stuff. So if, if this person's not in Red Deer, they can't get near you, like how do they reach out and kind of get into this world?
1: I would say, start with your state name or your province name and put our wrestling behind it and Google searches or like uh, on Facebook, Instagram or anything like that. And just check to see what's out there. If that doesn't work, do the surrounding states around you. As soon as you find something from there, there's always gonna be a name, a number, somebody you can reach out to, start sending messages out and ask them, hey, just curious, where's the local clubs that live around this area? Another good place to look at is ArmBet, download the ArmBet app and you can actually, there's they'll actually show you arm wrestlers in that area or people that have logged on to the Arm Wrestling Bet app. and You can scroll out to 250 kilometer range or something like that. And you can look around and see who, or if there is other arm wrestlers in that area and you can challenge them to matches or send them a message and hey, what's going on? How do you guys train? Do you guys train? Are you part of any club? When do you get together? And from there, the biggest thing I find is if if you have the opportunity to train or there's a club in your area, say you have to drive two hours away, but there's more guys that have been doing the sport for a longer period of time. It's more worth going the two-hour drive to one of those practices every week, every two weeks, as opposed to just you and a couple of buddies that have never done anything trying to start your own club. Right. Because – of the people, 98% of the people, when they first start and they first start arm wrestling, you got bad habits. The more you do them bad habits from the beginning, the harder them bad habits are going to break More later on you're into the sport. So if you can get somebody that really knows what they're doing to show you kind of the fundamentals and keep correcting you, from the beginning, it makes it so much easier as you propel further on in your career, right?
0: So. As the older generation, I use that lightly because they're still competing at a high level. People like John Bresnick or Rob Bath, those as once they finally do retire, and people like yourself, Devin, uh, Michael Todd, these other guys, is it how important is it for you to help preserve this legacy? Where? Twenty years down the road, there's another person out here that's gonna be inspired by Matt Basque that one day wants to take your place. Like, is it does it ever run through your head that you are the next link in this kind of arm wrestling evolution? Uh a couple times, but it's just I just
1: I'm doing it because I enjoy doing it. Right? right. Like, I, I really do enjoy arm wrestling. It does bring out the fire in me. Uh, there's there's not many things that get me as excited as I do when I think about an upcoming match or something like that. So it's, you know, for me, it's just a very special thing. So I'm going to continue to do it as long as I can continue to feel like I'm doing good out of it. I'm going to keep pressing on. Right. So, right. Yeah. Like As for, Oh, well, you're considered this in the sport. I don't consider myself anything, but just another dude that enjoys to do
0: something. That's like, awesome.
1: Right? So, you know,
0: I know you have that uh, – you have a big event competition up coming up in April. Uh, but besides that, like, how else is, like, schedule-wise the rest of the year, like, if stuff comes in, like, what's the what's the etiquette from uh, an organization, whether it's WAL, whoever it is, a, a person wants to put together a couple of matches. When people reach out to you, I'm like, hey, you have three months, to are ready for this match, like, how does that all get put together?
1: Yeah, usually they'll just say, how do you feel about pulling this person? And I usually say, yeah that'd be great or that's somebody I'd like to pull or well, what? When, when are the dates, when are the times and what are the incentives, right? Cause I right. do have to take time away from my family. I gotta take time away from work. It's gotta be somewhat worth my time, right? And if I am able to make it work, then yeah, we'll just go through numbers, go through dates. And if it works out, then <laughs> I'll sign up for it, right? So.
0: Love it, yeah, because I'm always curious because I know in Saudi Arabia there have been a lot of I know Devin and uh John uh almost did that mega match in Saudi Arabia recently and stuff like that. It's just oh, it's always peculiar because it's I love the idea that people are starting to put money behind the sport because it is so cool. It's like there's no other, it's just you, you're it's just yourself versus other person, like there's no team, there's no coach whispering in your ear. You might have that wife or the kids there watching, but I I just love the purity of this sport. It's just so cool.
1: Well, and there's like as people initially, when they first see it and they actually dig more into it, they realize that it's a lot more of a tactical game than people see. Oh yeah. Right? Like I remember when I first started, there was one thing and one thing you did and that was straight this way. right? <laughs> and then when you realize that the difference from your fingers being here to your fingers being here or coming in this way a bit or coming up that way, like it's just, it's the world of difference, and there's not just four or five different little angles you can work off of. There's so many different angles from every different position that there is, right? So it's, there's if, a, if you, a lot of technical involved into it than than most may think. So,
0: if say your favorite move is the low hand top roll, or you you love doing the king's move, or whatever the other thing is. The, your opponent goes to the match knowing you've used that a lot or you try to use that. And so how incumbent is you to read your opponent and be like, maybe I shouldn't do what I normally do? Or is it, I'll go back to what you said before, which is start trading, start learning, just start watching stuff.
1: Yeah, usually, usually I'll watch and I'll see. And I know when I've pulled other people that have like attacked in similar angles, whether it's going to work to my favor or whether it's not going to work towards me. Right? And... It's not so much about starting in the same position. Like I always wanna end up in the same position after the match gets going. It's just a matter of how you're gonna get there. Whether you're gonna start with your hand up a little higher and then drive your elbow out and then get into a low hand position or am I gonna be setting up in a lower hand position, driving straight back to get into this position, but there's so many different angles that I can work to, to get myself to that spot, depending on what, how that person is gonna arm us, right? So, how often
0: do you quarterback your own matches after you go back and watch them?
1: Um, that's the thing—you can't really tell. Like, there was a little bit of like hip position, or oh fuck, I should have maybe put my myself right, right. a little more behind, but you. You, I for myself anyways, I can't tell as much um what what I should have done in a match from watching it as opposed to the feeling you get from it. Like the amount of information that even just going up to somebody before a match and shaking their hand and hey buddy, how's it going? You yeah. grab onto them, just for that split second, the amount of information that you get from that initial grip up is absolutely fucking mind-blowing right so
0: so before I let you go Matt I mean obviously you're on Instagram um, Matt mask arm uh, you're on Facebook uh, your YouTube channel I highly recommend people going out there and checking it out because it's very informative again you mentioned you and Devin on there uh, awesome content I think that's what's important for this sport because the, I, I there's a ton of people out there I know my age that that love over the top and love all this masculine type stuff and it's like how do you get these people to start watching it? And maybe it's going to take someone, a league, a big league being bought out or being brought in to do Canada versus USA or all this crazy stuff. And so, again, uh, just awesome you being out here. If there's anything you need to say or if you want people to check you out or if maybe there's sponsorship opportunities, they just reach out to you?
1: Uh, yeah, you can get hold of me on Facebook, Matthew Mask, Matt Mask, uh, Instagram, Matt Mask, uh, Matt Mask Arm. Uh, YouTube channel as well is just Matt Mask. <laughs> we got uh, our wild horse shirts that are selling on the no limits Lorette site uh, quick link to get through to it is matmask.com so everything's Matt Mask. <laughs> no it's awesome so it should be easy to find so <laughs>
0: so uh thank you for this Matt and uh wish you all the success and uh, we'll do this again soon
1: yeah you bet Matt thanks for having me on thank
0: you How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode, I like to break a sweat. And I do that using the ChopFit. Over the course of the past year, the ChopFit has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself. A feeling that you should all feel about yourselves as well. If you use this code, SpearChop10, you get $10 off your order. Once again, use code SPEARCHop10 for $10 off your ChopFit order. It'll change your life.
1: Thank you. The podcast. Super friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers.
0: Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from branch out programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. at soundoff.network. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect